This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. Fight Back with Libby Schneimer on Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Uh, we've been talking about PharmaCare, which apparently will be a highlight of today's budget, though it will not be a line item. In other words, something uh, that uh, will be there for us immediately. Uh, and the document, the budget that uh, we'll be finding out about has already uh, been called by some observers a nothing burger. One of the centerpieces is said to be a drive for more pay equity and gender equality in the workforce. Um, How is that going to play out and what else can we expect? Let's go to Lisa Raitt, who is the deputy leader of the Conservative Party. Hello, Lisa. Hi, Libby. How are you? Fine. So what are you expecting? I'm expecting a lot of words and a lot of discussion around the middle class and the terminology gender lens an awful lot. And they'll, they'll spend a lot of time discussing it. But I also anticipate that we're not going to see anything that shows us a balanced budget or a path to a balanced budget in the future with more deficits. So overall, um, what I'm going to be looking for is to see whether or not they're increasing departmental spending, because that's the area that is extremely difficult to contain if you allow it to grow out of control, and that contributes to a lot of deficits. Mm -hmm. Uh, What do you think about the gender lens? I mean, uh, you know, when I look at this, I pay equity, I'm thinking, really, still? Don't we have that um, mostly already? And um, I guess the argument is it's still a problem. Women still making about 80 cents for every dollar men make and getting more women in the workforce uh, is good for the economy. Yeah, it's so there's two things there. On pay equity, of course, we all expect that women and men should be paid equally for the work that they do. I think the the issue that's going to be coming out in this budget, and one that a lot of folks don't necessarily understand when they're talking about pay equity, it's about taking a job that is primarily filled by a woman and comparing it to a job that is primarily filled by a man and making sure that if there's equal effort and there's an equal responsibility, that they get equal pay. So it's a very big undertaking. Doing pay equity in the federal system, which has about 250,000 employees, is going to be extremely expensive. And if we have seen the mess they've made with how they pay I was going to say they can't pay people, period. So how yeah, are they going to pay the mess? So Sorry, Libby, I think it's a smoke and mirrors. They're going to say a lot of nice words around it because, of course, this is something that matters to the NDP. It matters to Canadians, but the process is pretty intense, and I haven't seen anything that they've been able to actually do. Um, if, uh, you know, on, uh, They haven't been successful in any of their election promises so far, and I don't have a lot of faith in this one. But again, going back to the equivalencies, I mean, I remember doing stories on that 20 years ago, where uh, certain points would be assigned to certain jobs, and um, if the jobs had the same points, they got the same pay. Yeah, exactly. And that's been in place in a lot of workplaces across the country. And and they're only taking it on now for the federal public service, and they'll be going through a very big process with lots of 
different unions, lots of different stakeholders, and it's going to be a significant bill at the end of the day. And, and whether or not that actually makes women want to get into the workforce, I think that is a theory. That's not a truth. And there's a lot of reasons why women choose not to enter the workforce. And there, you know, there are reasons. Well, um, well, what what they are saying, which makes a lot of sense, is that for a lot of women wanting to go back to work after having a baby, they do the math, and there's very little left after um, paying for childcare. Sure, and we um, that's really important. Uh, you have to be able to make sure that childcare is affordable and. And the, you know, the NDP is going to say that they're looking for a national child care plan. And, but I don't know whether or not pay equity is the means by which to do it. And I'm looking forward to seeing what else they have to say is going to be part of their, their gender lens. Um, we'll, have to, we'll have to see. Well, the, the other thing is, is there's going to be uh, some kind of use it or lose it parental leave for um, uh, men, for male parents, uh, which uh, the theory behind that is that it would allow women to get back to work earlier. I don't understand that, because I think if you're going to, they're going to have to tell us that it's not allowed to be used at the, the beginning of, uh, of the woman's maternity leave, because quite frankly, when is the time that um, a mom needs her most help. It's during those first five weeks when you bring the baby home. And I, I just see that as people wanting to be together and taking that time together instead of vacation, take those five weeks off. And that really doesn't help women get into the workforce at the end of the day. So interesting the way they're pitching it, but I don't know whether or not it solves the issue that they, they say that they're trying to go after. What does work, though, Libby, is companies having good return-to-work policies. And that's where I think the public sector, the private sector has a, a stronger role that they can play in making sure it's easier for women to come back to stay in touch with the workplace and have those programs so that uh, when the year is over, when the 18 months is over, whatever you choose to take, you go back into the workplace, you pick up where you left off and you have a you know quality job. Um, yeah, the the other thing that I'm curious about, of course, um, we uh, are focused on an older demographic here, and it seems to me that there's also a shift uh, where uh, the government is perhaps saying, uh, you know, we we you know don't want to do that much for older Canadians, but uh, focusing on another generation, a younger generation. Do you see any of that based on what we know, obviously? I'm, I'm hoping to see something in there for seniors. I'm, I'm really worried. Uh, you know, I've disclosed this before. My husband has yes. young onset Alzheimer's. So we're dealing with the health system right now. We're dealing with very real issues of dementia and, and what happens in your home and what happens with respect to caregivers. It's, a, it's an earlier age than normal, for sure. But when I see how many people are going to be having dementia in the coming years, um, that's a huge cost to our system. And I have a little taste of it now, and I can see where this is heading. So two things. The first thing is when Bill Morneau continues to run up these deficits, just remember that for every deficit, that means there's going to be one last dollar to spend in health care eventually because those deficits turn into debt payments. And with interest rates going up, that means more money is going to be taken out. And the second thing is, um, you know, the youth are going to be the ones that are going to be paying the taxes for sure. And there's less of them. (laughs) There's a less population than we have of our people over 50, which I'll be joining this year. So it's, I think it's a real issue for people to take into consideration. You just don't scope out for what votes you're trying to get in 2019. you got to create a budget that's going to take care of everybody, including those most vulnerable, and that's people heading into their golden years.
And uh, CARP, A New Vision of Aging, has been advocating for more help for caregivers. There's a little now. And just last week, I I had a caller call in. Uh, Same deal. She's still working. Uh, Her husband has Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. And she takes him to a day program, which is very helpful. And she pays for the day program. And she's saying, why can I not at least get some kind of tax credit for that? I think it's brilliant. And one of the biggest disappointments I had this year was the realization that Canada Revenue is actually turning down disability tax credit applications from people who have dementia and Alzheimer's, saying that they're not sick enough. And that happened personally in my case, and I know it's happening in other cases. So, you know, I think having the ability to give that little bit of respite makes it so much easier. And those day programs, so important because people want to continue to be socializing and having them sitting at home in their own house and worrying about them when you're at work and them being concerned by themselves. That is not the way in order to treat any generation. And I would love to see something along the lines of a tax credit that allows people to deduct that because I think it makes a lot of sense. Uh, but is there is there any indication that we're going to actually see anything like that? Not from this government, but hopefully a conservative government would be the one that would bring forward serious issues on senior care and on seniors' health, because we're the ones that actually had a minister of seniors' affairs. We understood the importance of it. And uh, anything else that you are expecting in this document today? Well, I, I heard you were speaking about pharmacare just before I came on the radio, and I find it very interesting that Eric Hoskins has been asked to head up the, the panel that's going to go across the country. And my concern is I thought that they were going to come out because we studied this through the parliamentary budget officer, the health committee, the standing health committee in parliament has studied this. Senate has studied this issue of farmer care. We've got a lot of studies already. And I fear that this is just another consultation set up by this government in order to put off a decision that they should be taking right now on how to deal with pharma care. And we've seen We've seen these kinds of, um, we've seen democratic reform go by the wayside after one of these very intense consultation periods across the country. We've seen the murdered and missing Aboriginal women panel be mired in difficulty. And we've seen how much problem they're having rolling out the marijuana decisions and how they're going to be implementing. So I would like to see more action and less words from this government. If they're going to do these things, then get on with it and get these things done instead of just spending money and on people talking to one another. Well, uh, you're right that there has been a lot of consultation. Uh, I guess the theory is that uh, they would have it ready for the pre-election budget as opposed to the mid-mandate uh, budget. Fair enough, but they could do it now. Um, you know, there's a lot of provinces who are, have already done deals with generics, and all that this does is it gives a year of um, pharmaceutical companies to lobby the government in various ways instead of having a plan. They have a plan. They can put a plan together. Their health committee can give them a plan and what to execute, but instead they want to they wanna put it off. I mean, that's one more year of putting off somebody being able to afford drugs in this country. Don't think that's a good idea, even for an election. Mm-hmm. And uh, any idea on uh, how big the deficit might be? Now, it's not going to be what they promised in their election campaign, I can tell you that. If you look at their original numbers, they should have been running a $6 billion deficit this year in this taxation year. And I don't know what he's going to have there. He says he's putting $3 billion aside 
for NAFTA in case NAFTA goes badly, which I think should really scare everybody that the government is so worried that NAFTA is shaky that they're putting $3 billion aside to take care of companies when this all goes bust. And I think that is a, a huge signal coming out of this budget for me that they think it's that's imperative for them. So that um, $3 billion at least is the deficit. It I, you know, could be $18 billion again. It could be $15 billion. We'll see. It's only numbers to them. To me, it's what my kids are going to pay in taxes and services. Okay, well, uh, we'll find out exactly what is in there uh, at 4 o'clock this afternoon. And uh, Lisa Raitt, hope uh, we can talk about this again. Thank you so much. My pleasure. You can call me anytime, Libby. Thank okay, you. bye-bye. Bye. Okay, um, so a lot to digest today. That's all the time we have for Fight Back. And we now break for traffic and news. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of Fight Back on Zoomer Radio. Heard weekdays from noon to one. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.